What's up? What's up, everyone? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Space Talk. If you guys are joining me from wherever you are in the world, uh, go ahead and leave a comment in the comment section uh, just so I could hear from you. Uh, why don't today, we're going to do a different activity each time um, of what to comment. And so it's usually whatever I could think of. So this time it's going to be what is your favorite plant? What is your favorite plant? Um, I'll go ahead and start. I love the bird of paradise. The bird of paradise is like super cool. Um, I first loved it as like my favorite flower. Um, but I recently saw what it looks like as a whole plant also like just out in the wild. And I think it's just the coolest thing ever. So I love it. It's like huge, tropical, very big, long green leaves. And then it uh, will blossom sometimes into uh, this flower that literally looks like a bird. Um, so that is my favorite uh, plant. So what is your favorite plant? Um, and if you don't have a favorite plant, maybe you have a favorite flower, which is a type of plant. Just so we all have that established. But what would be your favorite type of flower? Just curious. Let's see. Uh, we've got, hello, Astro KV. Good morning. Oh my goodness. I know you are tuning in from somewhere where it is really early, early in the morning by you. I believe you are out in India, if that's correct. And let's see, I have India in my phone clock. Let's see which city I have. I have New Delhi and it's 1.32 a.m. So I know that um, India is quite large, so I'm not sure where exactly you are. Uh, or what time it is by you, but uh, feel free to comment that as well and let me know. Um, so I'm currently sitting here sipping on a coconut, just went ahead and posted an Instagram post um, and thought for sure I would be a little bit late to this podcast, but I wasn't. I was right on time. Um, so uh, I, I just went ahead and did a post for Alpha Industries. If you don't know about them, they are a really awesome merchandise company who makes uh, clothing that is uh, originally started from like the Air Force and for pilots and the military and it, it's expanded into really awesome, ready to wear clothing, uh, including a NASA collection. And they just launched their whole new NASA collection and I'm helping promote it. And so I just went ahead and posted that if you guys are interested to see what it's all about. There's this really cool bomber jacket that um, is modeled after the Apollo EVA suits, which is really cool. EVA is extravehicular activity, which is uh, what you would wear when you go outside of a spacecraft or outside of the International Space Station or just basically outside of anything. So yes. All right. Let's see. The Evo Bomber. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're in uh, Mirut. Okay. No, so close to New Delhi. Okay. So it's like also almost 2 a.m. by you. So hello, you're up late, but that's okay because we're all astronomers here. <laughs> we're all stargazers and we, we love you know, that this is this that's our time to like thrive and be up is is at night because that's when we can see the sky because the sun is, is has set. All right, let's see. We've got um awesome, we've got North Carolina, oh my gosh, 130. And I like touch me nots. Oh, the ones that move. I was just talking about those the other day. I called them the sensitive plant. Touch me not. It is little green leaves, right? Yeah, I love those plants. Um, those are so fun. I thought I saw one recently. I was on a hike and I went to like touch it and it just didn't shrink. It just stayed there. So I figured it probably wasn't that plant. Um, and oh, I also love 
palm trees picnic. Yeah, exactly. Um, night sky petunias from Mars. Mario, let's see. Night sky petunias. This is fun. This is a fun activity. We should do this every time. Um, whoa. These are so rad. They literally look like, yeah, it looks like some clothing that I have where it has this type of pattern where it looks like, I have to say at first I was like, oh, it kind of looks like it could be like, you know, the stars, the white parts, but it actually makes me think a lot more of like the distribution of dark matter, which um, have all been computer models, but they, they emulate a very similar, um, very similar kind of structure. Uh, let's see distribution of dark matter. Let me just make sure that that's the image I'm thinking of. Um, especially the purpley ones. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like it. That's If you guys look it up uh, and you look up the night sky petunias, I think they look quite similar. But this is, ah, these are so beautiful. Um, I think what really strikes me is how nature just like, I don't know, comes in these different types of forms and colors and and other stuff. I, I think it's just really cool how they evolve to eventually look this way. Um, so that's really cool. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Does anyone else want to share anything else with uh, when it comes to plants or or flowers? Um, oh, that's so cool. I lived in West End, New Delhi. Wow. 1985 to 89. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah. You guys chat about that in the chat. That's super, super cool. Um, and palm trees, coconut palm trees, saw them in law as a child in Africa. Picnic, you you never cease to amaze me with how many places you've been. Uh, every time there there always is some type of, or almost every time there's always there's some kind of comment that comes through about a new location. I think, and that's really cool. I think it's so wonderful to and so important uh, just as a human being to explore as much as we can of the you know planet that we live on, um, because there's just so much to to explore. Okay, so you guys talk about that more. Feel free to in the chat. Um, I'm going to move into what we usually do, which is our astronomy uh, term of the week, and then eventually our must-see celestial events. This is the kickoff of the week, so we always tend to go into uh, these kinds of things. So here is some trying out some new music, and I want something that is going to kind of be like, that's that's not the song. Introducing sort of our well. Once I like move one of the headphones off of my ear, I realize how loud I was speaking. I did not need to be shouting the whole time. <laughs> These are noise canceling headphones, and so um, yeah, I, I did not realize just how loud I've, I've been this whole time. So anyway, that being said, um, I want to start developing a little bit more of a soundboard and kind of add in different. I don't know, different tones, different music, uh, just to sort of, you know, work up the vibe a little bit uh, whenever we're we're doing, especially the the Monday repeat session here. Okay, awesome. So if any of you guys ever have any recommendations of music that you like, feel free to send that over to me. Um, go ahead and send over a DM. Um, or if you are a musician and you're working on this stuff or a music producer, I'd love to be in contact with you because I really want to build up my soundboard here on Space Talk. So, oh, what's up? I see Charlie just joined. Hello, hello. Uh, if you want to join the chat, we are we currently are writing down what our favorite plant is or favorite flower. I started with Bird of Paradise. Um, we've got I learned all about night sky petunias, which is really cool. Um, and and as 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 usual, our, our our chat will just sort of go into our own kind of direction of different things. But let's tie it all back to a space in this episode of what you can catch in the night sky for this week of May. So 
um, if you guys do receive that transmission, uh, um, this is what I'm going to be, you know, kind of sharing with you all. It is a newsletter I send out every week um, of usually these types of things you can catch from the northern and southern hemispheres. So since I kind of know everybody right now that's already joined, except for our three plus others who I just noticed are here. So whoever those are, hello, hello. If you have access to a chat button, um, please comment where you're listening in from. It'll really help with kind of knowing and navigating what parts of the night sky to cover um, because I am based in the Northern Hemisphere. So a lot of the stuff I look up is for the Northern Hemisphere, which is north of the equator, in case you weren't too familiar about that. And um, so wherever you are based, that'd be very helpful for future stuff. All right. So let's jump into, I'll get to astronomy term of the week at the end. I want to start off actually with space history uh, because it's tied a little bit in with um, some of our must-see celestial events. So our space history, there's a little out of order this time, but that's fine because nothing necessarily needs to be in order at all times. On May 3rd, tomorrow, back in the year 1764, Charles Messier, a French uh, comet hunter, uh, made his first discovery of a deep sky object which was M3, a globular cluster in Canes Venatici. It's a really brilliant uh, uh, cluster of stars. Um, it is a globular cluster. So if you're new to the show, what's up? Welcome. Um, if you are just joining, go ahead and comment your favorite plant or flower. That's the task of the day <laughs> or for this episode. Um, but if you've heard this before and you guys have listened, what's the difference between a globular cluster and an open star cluster? There's a few key differences, but if you can think of any or you can remember any, feel free to comment that in the chat. Um, otherwise, I'm going to open up the room for anyone who might want to call in and chat about this. Um, the only reason I'm actually turning it to you guys is because I've mentioned this quite a few times here on Space Talk and I recognize a lot of your faces and names. And so I'm just curious to see if you guys remember that. So feel free to either comment that in the chat or tap the call in button and I'm going to move into the next event. And again, at any time, feel free to just, yeah, to, to call in and say, what's up? You're not interrupting. All right. On May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, in the year 1702, M5 was discovered by Gottfried and Maria Margaretti. M5 is a globular cluster as well. And it, this one specifically is populated with tons of variable stars. Does anyone remember anything about variable stars? Uh, what What is a variable star? Why are they valuable? Why are they important to use in the field of astronomy and astrophysics? Uh, I'll give you a hint. They, they do, this is a natural phenomena of a star. A variable star does something slightly different than a, you know, a non-variable star. So if you want to go ahead and comment that. Otherwise, what we'll do is at the end, all these questions I'm kind of prompting, I will try to remember it after this chapter of space history, and then we'll we'll, we'll chat about it. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Astro KV812 coming in strong with the answer. Changing brightness. Yeah. Variable stars, they fluctuate in how bright they are. Sometimes they're bright. Sometimes they're dim. Think of a light bulb that is coming close to, you know, dying or going out. Um, it starts to flicker and then eventually dies. Now that's not necessarily the case with these stars. They're, they're not really coming close to dying, but that does happen with stars. Take Betelgeuse, for instance, the red supergiant star you might have heard about in the news that could be going supernova any time, any day, any year. 
for the next 100,000 years, <laughs> 10,000 years. Um, this is a star that is approaching the end of its life and it's brightening and dimming and brightening and dimming. And the current understanding of why that is, is it could be some kind of phenomena that can happen to a star near the end of its life. Uh, but variable stars are different. Variable stars uh, just naturally will brighten and dim uh, based on different fluctuations of temperature um, and different like signatures that is uh, that's happening at the composition of the star itself, the amount of nuclear fusion happening in its core. And it's really important for astronomers to uh, know about variable stars because this helps them detect distance. And the way it would detect distance is by being able to predict when it will get bright and then dim. You can count how many seconds or nanoseconds go by. And then once that happens and you can calculate how fast light moves, because light moves that understood right now to be a constant speed, then you can figure out just how far that star is and then use that to determine other distances. All right. So um, we also got uh, a few comments in here about globular clusters. Yep. Uh, so I see globular clusters, soary. Not sure what that means, but uh, if you want to want to uh, talk a little bit more about that picnic, please do. Um, so let's see. We've got, oh, Nicholas is calling in. All right. Nicholas, hello. You are on the microphone. If you want to hit unmute, you are oh, up. Oh, thanks. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's up? Excellent. Oh, I just sort of, uh, you know, I'm not too knowledgeable about uh, globular clusters, but I thought I would call in asking about, uh, I don't know, say the, expressing, you know, that I want to learn more about globular clusters. They, they, the Milky Way is part of some cluster that has maybe 100,000 galaxies or something like that. So, yeah, there's lots of different kinds of clusters. There's star clusters and then there's galaxy clusters. And you're right. We're part of the something known as the local group. So it's like us, the Milky Way, Andromeda, and then um, – what are the names of those two objects? Um, the Large Magellanic Cloud and Small Magellanic Cloud, which are galaxies. We just call them clouds. <laughs> For some reason, that's just the name they got, Large Magellanic and Small Magellanic. But they are galaxies. And then their part, we're all part of a supercluster, the Virgo supercluster, which is made of even more, more galaxies. So you're completely right about that. Um, and whoa, whoa, whoa. My watch is talking to me. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> It was really weird. Um, and then star clusters, yeah, are, are uh, kind of the same thing, right? I mean, it's literally a group of these objects. It's just one of them is stars. Another one is galaxies. So star clusters can be found within one galaxy. There could be tons of clusters within a galaxy. Um, think of it like you have tons of bowls of cereal and you have like honey bunches of oats. And so you have an oat cluster within all these other oak clusters within your bowl of cereal. But then you could have multiple bowls of cereal, which are like the galaxies, all with their own oak clusters inside, um, if that makes sense. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for correcting me. I was sort of skipping ahead to a larger scale. But the, no, it's scale, great. The, the scale that you're interested in is sort of the scale of, uh, well, Betelgeuse is presumably in our local star cluster you were mentioning and then uh it's in an arm maybe or not in are we in an arm or not in an arm maybe i'm not sure 
of uh, one of the Wilkie, sorry, Milky Way spirals, something like that. Yeah. So these are all great. So you are right. We are located in one of the outer edges of the Milky Way is, is what's um, understood to be right now. Uh, I think until we can actually send a spacecraft outside of our galaxy, then we can have like a real good mapping of, of the Milky Way. But it is understood that we're, the sun and our solar system is located on one of those outer edges. Um, Betelgeuse, though, however, uh, is not part of a star cluster. So it is a little bit different. Um, these stars sometimes uh, that make up a constellation, like Betelgeuse is in the Orion constellation, that's just from our point of view. So like one of the stars in Orion can be located thousands of light years away from another star in the same constellation. And that's just because of our perspective and our point of view. So a cluster would be a little bit different. So you could see uh, an open star cluster such as the Pleiades without a telescope or binoculars, and it'll look like literally like a like a blob of like sparkly objects with the unaided eye. That's what it looked like to me. When you get binoculars, you could really start to see pinpointed stars. Uh, you could see mainly just about like seven or eight, but there's actually somewhere around a thousand in this cluster. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Well, well. So that that's where it gets really interesting. Is I'll ask you, uh, and this can be a wild answer. Feel free to answer whichever, however you'd like. But we have open star clusters, as I just mentioned, that the Pleiades is. I can have about a thousand. You know, some some of them can have about a thousand stars, like the Pleiades. What would you say a globular cluster has, which is still a star cluster, a different name? How many stars do you think would be in that one if we know an open star cluster is about a thousand? Uh, I would say at least ten, uh, at least an order of magnitude more stars, but that's just yeah. a wild guess. That's a really good guess. Yeah, yeah, about a magnitude ten more. So it can get up to about ten million stars. Uh, globular clusters can can be about that much. Um, so <laughs> a lot, a lot bigger. Definitely, definitely huge. Um, so that was a really that was a very good educational guess. That was that was great. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to share? By the way, Nicholas. Oh, uh, I'm interested in listening. I don't know. I think that um, if it makes sense for today's con- conversation, I, you want to talk more about the uh, risk. Even maybe it's the wrong word, but excitement more so. Hopefully, not too much risk of. Uh, the Beetlejuice uh, supernova that could, um, you know, it could happen. We don't know. Sometime probably mm-hmm. next 100,000 years, I think is a thought. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll mute myself. And if you want to talk about that, uh, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. Well, thank you for calling in and asking that. Um, so Beetlejuice, as you're, as you're right, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of news coverage around this, this star. Um, so I just wanted to do a quick double check on kind of see how old it is. It's estimated to be about 10.01 million years old, which means that it's in, it just entered its estimated age bracket that it would die. So it can die anywhere from, like today to the next, I, I believe it's about 10,000 10, years um, is like the, the maximum cap. And it's like, if it doesn't, you know, it, it would for sure die by then only because we've observed other types of stars like this as humanity, other types of red type, red giant stars that when they reach this phase, they're 
burning through all their nuclear fusion in their core. They're running out of matter. They're running out of material. And it, the core is becoming very unstable. So it's only a matter of time as it's getting bigger and bigger and the core is getting more and more compressed that it's not going to be able to have any, any type of balance. So this is this is known as the equilibrium in its core. And it could explode as a supernova. Uh, and it, it will. It's, it's, it's like a 90%, a 99.9% uh, uh, certainty that it, it will uh, based on all the information that's known about this type of star. It's not going to affect Earth. It, we're not going to be like, you know, destroyed or killed or anything like that. We're too far away from it. Uh, but what's going to be cool is we should be able to see it in the sky uh, whenever it does happen. And it's possible that it died already and the light hasn't gotten to us yet. Um, and speaking of, let me see how far the distance is. I don't have that off the top of my head. Distance of Betelgeuse to Earth. So, okay, 642.5 light years. So it's, it's this being said, it's possible it died already. And, you know, 642 years hasn't passed yet um, because it takes 642 years moving at the speed of light for us to see that, for the light to reach us. Um, so with that being said, it, you know, it might have happened already, but we just haven't seen it just yet. So who knows? Maybe, maybe we will. Maybe it happened 641 years ago and it's going to happen next year and we're going to see it. Um, so with that being said, it should be really cool. Uh, estimations I've like read up on is, is that it should be just about the brightness of the full moon. And if that happens, that would be like really cool seeing the night sky. Um, but it won't last for a long time. It'll eventually start to dim out after I think it's about, for what I read, estimations were about a week, uh, maybe even less. And then you won't really be able to see it too much anymore. So yeah. All right. So that is about Beetlejuice. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move into the next space history events. That was such a great fun discussion, by the way, about uh, clusters and star clusters and globular clusters, which are star clusters, but they're old stars. And there's a lot more of them. Okay. On May 5th in 1961, Alan Shepard became the first American in space, launching on the Freedom 7 spacecraft on board a Mercury Redstone rocket. So this was a very big deal. Um, this was, uh, a, it was about a month after Yuri Gagarin, Russian cosmonaut, had already gone to space, became the first human to go to space. Uh, and then it was followed by Alan Shepard on May 5th in 1961, same year. And then finally on May 8th in 1795. First of all, can you imagine what it was like in 1795? Like just living here? Like I, I got, like I just, I look at when I type this up sometimes and I just think about the 1700s, I'm like, Wow. Okay. So by this time, you know, the United States was established, but by the time that previous star cluster was discovered, the United States was not yet, a, you know, a free country from uh, the um, the English colonies. And so, uh, by on May eighth, seventeen ninety five, the first observation was made of Neptune. Neptune, the furthest planet from the sun, uh, not including Pluto or other dwarf planets was made on May 8th in 1795, but it was mistaken as a star initially, uh, which makes sense. I mean, if you look at it through a telescope, you'll be able to, you know, kind of make out the bluish color. You'll probably be able to see, okay, well, it has bodies orbiting it, which are moons. It is a planet. Um, but when you look at these things in the sky, and I encourage you all to go out at night when you have a clear sky, there's a lot of clouds here right now by me, but, um, 
when you look up at the sky and you see a very bright star, try to guess first if it's a planet or a star, and then maybe pull out your app and determine whether or not it's a star or planet. And I'll give you all a hint. If it's not twinkling, it's most likely a planet. Uh, If it's twinkling, it's probably a star. Why do stars twinkle? And that's because they're located so much further away from us than the planets are. And so there's a lot more atmospheric disturbances, interstellar dust and gas, other objects that can block its view and cause its light to constantly be fluctuating from bright to dim to bright to dim to bright to dim over and over again. So a little like kind of like what we're talking about with variable stars, except that this is just an optical illusion where variable stars, it's like it's actually getting brighter and dimmer. Um, so with this, that's that's keeping that in mind. Planets, they're located a lot closer to us. And so if they're reflecting all this light that it's receiving from the sun, it just looks like this super bright, stagnant star in our sky. And Venus is one of them which is usually coined the name as the evening star. So you may be able to see that at night. Okay, let's move into our must-see celestial events, starting with the moon phase. So the moon phase, uh, it's now coming out of the uh, new moon, so totally dark, going into, it's now currently a waxing crescent. So it's, it's growing. I usually will say, okay, think of waxing as like, you know, if, you, if you're waxing hair, it's because the hair grew. And so if the moon is growing, it's waxing because it's, it's getting bigger. So it's going to approach the first quarter phase. This is going to happen on May 8th at 8.21 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, in case you are tracking the phases of the moon. And then moving into our musty celestial events. All right, so May 2nd, which is tonight. Uh, this is from Sky and Telescope magazine, one of my favorite magazines. Oh, looks like we got a caller. Okay. Gunner, I will... Oh, never mind. You just went away. Okay. Gunner, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to leave that in the chat if you'd like, if you don't want to call in. Um, and I would love to help address it. Oh, no. Gunner disappeared. Okay. That's okay. Maybe they will come back. Um, so this is uh, from Sky and Telescope magazine, which is one of my favorite resources of astronomical events and information. So about 45 minutes after sunset tonight, looking west-northwest, you're going to see this really cool alignment of the waxing crescent moon just north of Mercury, the planet. And that is just north of the Pleiades Open Star Cluster. So we were just talking about the star cluster recently, and it's going to be just north of that cluster, and you will be able to see this with the unaided eye. Uh, Only thing is, if you are in a very light polluted city, listen back to my previous episode about how to combat light pollution uh, when you are trying to do stargazing. Um, I listed a bunch of different tips and recommendations for how to, you know, kind of navigate around light pollution if you're in a very uh, busy city. And all of this kind of alignment that's going to be happening of the moon, Mercury, and Pleiades is going to be just to the right of Taurus, the Taurus constellation. And the way you'll probably be able to recognize Taurus is by the very bright red star known as Aldebaran. So look for a very bright red star just left of the moon, and you'll be able to then pinpoint the other four stars that make up the curve of Taurus And as it rises up on the horizon, you'll be able to see it just better and better. It'll come much clearer into view. 
And all of this is just about a 10 degree uh, length in the sky. So going all the way from the Pleiades up to the moon is about 10 degrees. If you don't remember how to measure degrees in the sky, I want you to take your fist right now and look at your index knuckle to your pinky knuckle. That is about 10 degrees. This is an average adult fist. I know that will vary a little bit, but it's pretty. Um, it's a pretty good estimation. Uh, so you're going to hold your arm out at arm's length, holding your fist from knuckle to knuckle is 10 degrees. You can always rotate it so that your thumb is facing up to the sky. This way you, you can measure from the horizon that the base of your pinky knuckle is zero, the top of your index knuckle is 10. And this is how then you can like, you know, stack your fists on top of each other, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and so far, and you know, so on and so forth to then measure where objects are located. Okay, May 4th to the 6th, we have a meteor shower. So for those of you, I'm going to do a separate episode on a meteor shower, I just realized, because um, I do think we should probably do a little bit more details on how you could see it. But this is known as the Eta Aquarids meteor shower. So it's located in the Aquarius constellation. And this is um, actually residue from the Halley's Comet. So what's happening is Earth is currently passing through the debris field of Halley's Comet. And because of this, it'll shower a ton of meteors on our planet. And um, it'll peak within the Northern Hemisphere uh, just about pre-dawn. So you're going to have to get up really early to catch this meteor shower. It'll be around 4 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, facing east-southeast. And the radiant, which is the kind of main center part of where a lot of the meteors will, you know, you might be able to catch the majority of the meteors will be right in the Aquarius constellation. Now do keep in mind, like you should be able to see if you're just looking in the general vicinity, a lot of meteors or a good amount, because they're gonna be flying in all which directions, like all different directions. Um, but if you do wanna try to be as precise as possible to try to catch the most, look for the radiant. And again, that'll be at the heart of the Aquarius constellation facing east, southeast for Northern hemisphere. I'll get to Southern hemisphere in a second. One more really cool thing is you'll also be able to see three planets at the same time in the same like picture frame of a view, Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter. Jupiter is going to be the brightest. Uh, this is a really good way to kind of test out what I was saying earlier about, you know, the flickering or non-flickering of the object. Jupiter is going to be so bright. You're going to probably really be able to look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's very stagnant. It's not twinkling. It's for sure a planet. It's for sure Jupiter. Um, but if it's kind of twinkling, you might be looking at a pretty bright star, um, such as like, you know, it won't be in this area, but if you're looking at Sirius or Vega, those are two very bright blue-white stars. They twinkle, um, but they're also very, really prominent, especially if you're in a dark sky. So for my friends in the Southern Hemisphere, um, let's see, you'll actually be able to see, you'll probably be able to see more than the Northern Hemisphere when it comes to meteors. You should be seeing up to about 40 meteors an hour. This is also going to be about the pre-dawn sky. You're going to be wanting to face your Southeast, um, excuse me, this is going to be your Northeast horizon. So a little bit different than the Northern Hemisphere facing your Southeast. So Southern Hemisphere facing Northeast, you should see up to about 40 meteors per hour. 
if you aren't too aware of kind of like where you're oriented, download the app Sky Sky Guide. It's one of my favorite stargazing apps. I'll type it in the chat. Uh, Sky Guide. And just, yeah, step outside, pull that thing out. And if there's a meteor shower going on at that moment, uh, it'll even notify you. Or you could type in Eta Aquarid Meteor Shower and it'll pop up. So it should be really cool. Also, hello to my new friends, Melissa and James, plus one other. Hope you guys are doing well. If you want to take part in the activity that we're doing, we're commenting in the chat what our favorite plant or flower is. Uh, we usually will ask what our favorite astronomical object is. Since this is a space and astronomy podcast, but we decided to talk about plants today. And uh, that's actually really important anyway, because, you know, if we can't grow planets on another uh, plants on another planet, then we not, might not be able to find life beyond Earth. Okay, moving into May 5th, Uranus is in conjunction with the sun. This will be at 3 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And finally, on May 7th, uh, I what I decided to do was I took a screenshot of a sky guide or a star, a star map of what you could see in the night sky. And I am based in Austin, Texas. So if anyone is based here, hello, what's up? Um, I wanted to kind of demonstrate what you could see. So you could see how the moon is kind of just tracing along the um, ecliptic, which is what are the eclipse, the, the passageway of the sun. Um, and this is something that you'll be able to kind of see pretty well. You won't be able to see really the ecliptic looking up at the sky, but you can see it on the sky map. And when you see the moon, it's going to be just at that waxing crescent phase going into its first quarter. And it should be really cool. You might want to check out some of the brightest stars, Spica, Arcturus, Procyon, Capella, Polaris, and Vega. And those are probably some of the brightest stars you'll be able to see uh, from wherever it is that you're watching. Uh, if you're you know, looking up the night sky from the Northern Hemisphere. I made this at about 11 p.m. Uh, Central Time. And also I did make this for May 7th because I did think that this was probably one of the most interesting times of the week of where you just had quite a lot of alignment of both these bright stars, the different planets that are visible, and then, of course, that moon. Alrighty, so that is about everything I wanted to include. Oh, wait, we've got Astronomy Word of the Week. Didn't want to forget about that. That is really important. All right, so uh, Aperture. I decided to go with Aperture. And if you are a photographer, you probably already know about this. This is the diameter of a telescope's main lens or the mirror. It'd be the same thing also for the camera, I believe. Uh, but from a <laughs> telescope point of view, the diameter of the main lens or the mirror. And this is a really important aspect of the telescope because this is what gathers as much light as possible to be able to see far away objects. A telescope's maximum useful magnification is about 50 times its aperture in inches or two times its aperture in millimeters. And if you want to look up a few diagrams, I definitely recommend that. Um, Sky and Telescope, always giving them those shout outs. They, they really put together some good just diagrams of understanding the mechanics of telescopes. Uh, there's also some really great uh, universities. You can check out Caltech. You can check out um, also Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, McDonald Observatory out here in Texas. Um, all their websites have really good information on just kind of the overall mechanisms of how telescopes work. Alrighty, so that was Word of the Week. And I'm going to go ahead and just read through our chat here and see what you all are saying. 
Um, awesome. Yay. Okay. looks like I had had log out. Said great show. Got to go. We'll listen more. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Loki's logician. Loki. Loke is logician. Okay. Awesome. I know it's Joshua, but I've never tried to pronounce your, um, uh, your, your username before. Hemp and sunflowers. Yeah, I thought of you. I was thinking you might write hemp um, <laughs> because we had so many discussions kind of just about the the multi-uses of it as a like physical item, material item uh, to make like 3D printed materials. Um, I was about to say 3D printed rockets, but I believe the rockets that are currently being 3D printed are made of slightly different materials than hemp. Um, and we've got sunflower from MD 71 What's up, Melissa? Hello, hello. Sunflowers are so great. Um, I'm curious to know if you've ever taken apart the core of a sunflower as it's kind of approaching the end of its life. Um, I think it's usually when it's when it starts to lose its petals is when you could actually pull out the seeds from that like center part of the sunflower. Because I my neighbors had a bunch of sunflowers and they had us like pull it apart once the inside part um, and they were they were like harvesting them and. It was all like purple and it like like dyed my hand purple. It was like the coolest thing. I was like eight years old and so I just was like all about it. So I'd be curious if you've ever done that um, since sunflowers are your favorite flowers. Alrighty. Awesome. Yay. Well, um, let's see this exciting for Haley. Yeah, Haley's comment, one of the most famous comments. Um, word of the week. Awesome. Yay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. Um, if you have anything else you want to share, feel free to type that in the chat. Otherwise, that's everything um, for this episode of what you could look forward to in the night sky. Um, I will do an episode, I think I'll probably schedule it tomorrow for the meteor shower that's going to be happening because it's going to be peaking very soon. And uh, the meteor shower, now Earth has been passing through that debris field of Halley's Comet for, for a while now. I think it started sometime in uh, March. I believe it was the end of March is what I had seen recently. Uh, and, and usually it'll be, it can be about a month long of like, you know, meteor showers, but you can only maybe catch like one, two, five, like n not a lot um, within a full night of stargazing. And so the reason why most of it ends up in the news for like one to two days is because that is when it peaks. So that's when we're passing through the majority of the debris field. We're passing through a very condensed area. So imagine if you're going through New York City and you're walking through Times Square versus um, what's an empty part of New York City? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Everything is it's gone so crowded. I was going to say Brooklyn, but it's like, it's just so crowded in Brooklyn. I'm actually, I'm actually if anyone's going to be in New York, I'm going to be in New York next weekend, this weekend. So if anyone is going to be there, hit me up. We'll, uh, we'll do some space events. So um, yeah, so, so we're passing through the majority of those meteors, the majority of the material that can end up coming down to earth in the form of meteors, or as uh, we learned as kids, shooting stars. So, all right. So I'll be doing that episode tomorrow. Um, but otherwise, I just want to th say thank you guys so much for joining Space Talk today. Um, I know it's super early for some of you, like Cartavia. So thank you for, for joining. Um, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your evening. Make sure you get outside, look up at the night sky, do some stargazing. And of course, as always, add Astra.